So the child shall remain nameless, but at our house there was this little phase that we went through where uh, there, was, there was one child in particular who liked to point out my moles. You know, the little brown blemishes you have on your skin. I'm sure you have some. You know, we all have. But, but just kept, what, what's that? What's that, Daddy? Well, that's, that's a mole. It's a mole. But I never realized I had so many of them. They just keep coming and, and pointing them out. And, and after a while, I, I've never thought of myself as particularly vain. But after a while, I was like, okay, that's enough. We're pointing out my moles. That's enough. No more. Don't need to point that out anymore. Don't need to get me. You know, they, they were innocent. They're doing it innocently. But well, I just, it's enough, you know. Now, that's silly. Uh, but what if it were something more serious? What if it were something more serious where there was this pain, this shame that was out in the open. Every time you come together in the hol- during the holidays, family get-togethers, it's right out there in the open. There, there, is this, there is this open wound that everybody can see. And not only is there open, this open wound, but there is somebody right there. God, God has just put them in your life to make sure you don't forget about it. They, they just see it there and they, they see that, that pain and they just say, hey, does that hurt? Does that hurt? Ah, I bet that hurts, doesn't it? Yeah, they're, they're just getting it to you. They're, they, are, they are magnifying it. They are making it, you know, you would, you would do something about it if you could. There's nothing that you can do about it. And they, there is somebody right there that you see all the time. There are these regular remembrances and reminders of, of what your problem is and what your pain is. There's not anything you can do about it. And you just live with it. Month after month and year after year. You know, the reality is, is that in a, in a fallen world, all of us are suffering with something. All of us have pain in some way. And as many prescriptions as the world has for all of our pain, there are so many things we just can't do anything about. We are powerless. What I hope you'll understand today, though, is that while we are powerless, and we need to recognize that we are powerless, there is one who is powerful to save, Jesus Christ. Today we're going to be starting in uh, 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1, 1 Samuel chapter 1. What I hope you'll see first is powerlessness and pain. Powerlessness and pain. First Samuel chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 through 8. Powerlessness and pain. Read along with me in your copy of God's word. Let's read verses 1 through 8. That's what it says. There was a certain man of Ramathiam Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, Son, uh, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man used to go up year by year from a city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. The Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. 
So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Uh, Verse 1 kind of starts out with the Hebrew version of once upon a time. There was a certain man. A certain man, this guy's name is Elkanah. He probably has some social status that has to do with the ancestry that he has. He probably has some wealth. He's wealthy enough to... Uh, to take care of two wives and their households. Uh, lots of times this always kind of brings up the, uh, the, the question about polygamy. One of the things to, to notice in the Bible, in the Old Testament, is that always the ideal, the ideal at creation, the ideal in kingship, the ideal in Song of Solomon, the ideal in Proverbs, is the ideal of one man and one woman. And uh, polygamy never has positive consequences as deviating from God's norm never has positive consequences. Uh, so we kind of see there with, with Elkanah, but the story's not really about Elkanah. The story doesn't focus on Elkanah, it focuses on his wives, especially on Hannah. And you kind of see there in, in just verses 2 and 3, this is, the, this is the problem, this is the crisis. Hannah has no children. It's probably why Elkanah has a second wife. Hannah was his first wife, she can't have children, so he takes a second wife so that he can have sons and daughters. Uh, and Elkanah is probably a pretty pious man. You have to remember that this is during the time of the judges. Uh, the time of the judges was kind of like a Wild West type of time in the nation of Israel. A lot of people, everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes is the way the, the writer of Judges puts it. Everybody was, everybody was just kind of doing whatever they wanted. But in that time, Elkanah is a, is a, a seemingly pious man who is carrying his family to the tabernacle. Uh, that the, the place where, where God was to be worshipped the three, during the three times of the year that they were supposed to show up. He's there with his family. Uh, and they're going up year by year. But every year, this is, this is a chance for Peninnah to goad and to insult and to stir up uh, all, all of Hannah's pain. He, she is right there. She is right there making it hard for her. Here's, a, here's another year. Here's another year. We're going to festival. Here's another year where we're going to all gather around. You think of this as like, think of this as probably during the festival of booths or the festival of tabernacles. They're, they're celebrating how God had brought them through the wilderness. It's a big deal. Everybody's having big meals and celebrating, and it's mainly a good time. But not for Hannah. Not for Hannah. Her husband is there. He... Loves her, her you, can, you can see that he is probably giving her a double portion. He is trying to console her, but there is no consolation for her. There is no consolation for her. There is no, there is no way to take away her pain. There is nothing. This is, this is something that husbands can't do. This is something that men can't do. Human beings can't do. They, they, they can't. Sometimes you get up to a point to where you are powerless to take away somebody else's pain. You're powerless to do anything about your own pain. You know, God is the one. God is the one who opens and closes the wound. God is the one who has the power over life and death. As, as advanced as we like to think of our culture and society as being, there are some things, there are many things over which we are powerless. We like to delude ourselves into thinking otherwise. It's not true. And so she's going up, she's going up, and this is a time to remember, and she's, she's right there. And every year, she can't eat, she's weeping, she's crying, and there is nobody 
who can console her. There's nothing that can be done for her. There's nothing that she can do for herself. Here's one of the things I want you to remember. This is a little story. This is Hannah. Not be a story that anybody else in her time would probably notice. Hannah's story is not historically significant in the eyes of the world. God sees. God knows. God remembers. God sees her tears. Psalm 6 says that God hears the sound of our weeping. He sees. God God knows and cares about us in our pain. And also, God has a purpose for her pain. God is working out his plan. God is, God, is not, God is not setting her up for eternal misery. He is setting up her up for a happiness and a joy that she could not know otherwise apart from this. God has a purpose in her pain. And I know the question is, is isn't there some other way that God could do it? And the answer is no. If there were a better way for God to do it, God would do it that way. We serve an all-wise and all-knowing and all-loving and all-good God. If there was a better way to do it, God would do it that way. But God has a purpose. And don't we know this? Is it, didn't, didn't Paul say that God had a purpose for the thorn in his flesh? This was a messenger from Satan that, that God permitted by his all-powerful decree that Paul would have a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. Doesn't Peter, in 1 Peter 1, he tells us that our that there are all kinds of trials that are there for the refining of our faith. James, in James 1, tells us that, that this, these trials are to produce steadfastness in us. The writer of Hebrews says that a loving father disciplines his children. This is the way that God is refining our faith. This is the way that God is producing steadfastness in, uh, in us. This is the way that God is building up for us an eternal joy. There is not a better way. This is the best of all possible worlds that would bring maximum glory to God and maximum joy to his people. God is not setting her up for failure. He's not setting her up for eternal misery. He is setting her up for joy that she could not have known otherwise. It is the joy of the day that Jesus is in the grave. How his friends mourned over him. And it had to happen so that resurrection could happen it had to happen so that our sins could be dealt with god has a purpose for had a purpose for hannah's pain has a purpose for our pain had a purpose for jesus pain that he would atone for our sins that he would take our sins away that we would know eternal life through him look at the way that god is in in control of everything look at verses five and six who, who closed her womb? The Lord did. God is in control of all things. Who was it? Who was it who put Peninnah right there beside her? God did. God did that. And right now, you are thinking that God put something in your life that is more painful than you think you can bear. And that there is even maybe something there that keeps, keeps 
bringing it up, bringing it to your face, bringing it to your remembrance. And you're thinking, God did that. You're right, God did do that. But God did not do that to destroy you. God did not do that to take away your joy. He did that to maximize your joy. Well, next I want you to see powerlessness and prayer. Powerlessness and prayer. Let's read verses 9 through 18 together. It says, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. And therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. I do not regard your, ser- do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Well, this is, this is, like I said, this is a big feast. Everybody is, everybody is gathered around. I mean, everybody is eating and drinking. This is a great time of celebration. Finally gets to the end. Hannah's not eating the whole time. Uh, Hannah is, is uh, not, her, her distress is so great. She can't, she cannot partake in any of the festivities, can't celebrate, can't do any, any of the things that would normally bring to everybody. Everybody else is smiling. Everybody else is, is eating. Everybody else is laughing. Not her. She goes off alone and, uh, and hopes, probably thinks that she is unobserved, probably thinks that nobody is, is with her. She's all alone. And I want you to kind of consider that. I, I know some moms who sometimes wish that they had some alone time, you know, wish that you had some alone time, even read the Bible or maybe sit through a sermon without trying to train a child to sit and listen to a sermon. I want you to think about what it would be like if you had the aloneness that Hannah had right here. And just appreciate the great work that God has in your life of being a mother and not take that for granted. Next time you feel like you want some alone time, and I know you do, and I know you deserve it in a, in a, in a way, uh, and, and I know that, that hopefully your, your husband or somebody in your life will give it to you, but appreciate, appreciate the, the work that God has for you. And she's there alone. And she is deeply distressed and prays to the Lord. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the things that I read this week when I was reading commentaries and studying and such, they, they make a big deal about how powerless Hannah is. Uh, Han, Hannah is, she's, she's one of two wives in a rural household in Israel. She's not a very significant person, not a person with a lot of earthly power. You know, the reality is we're all powerless. Blessed are you if you understand your own powerlessness. Blessed are you if you understand what 
Hannah comes to understand here. I, I, think, I think I talked about purposes and pain. Of the many purposes for her pain, one of them is that she would learn to pray earnestly and intensely. One of, God's, one of the purposes of God's pain in our life is that we would learn to pray. I would not know, and, and I have not had a particularly hard life. And I, I, I can only thank God for that. But if it were not for a few of what I felt like were difficulties, I would not know how to pray. You would not know how to pray. It is hard to pray when you're full. I mean, hopefully we are, hopefully we are learning more and more to thank God for every good thing that he gives us. But, but when we are powerless, when God brings that right in our face and makes us remember it and makes us know it, it makes us intent, it makes us earnest before the Lord, it makes us get down in, in, in all honesty and brokenness before the Lord and begin to pray out of our distress. And that's where she is. We need to learn how to pray. It is, it is more important for us to learn how to pray than, than for our lives to be painless. We need to rely upon the Lord. Blessed are you. Remember we just read in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I, I don't think it would be out of character to, to even say, along with, along, with, along with 1 Samuel 1, blessed are the powerless. Blessed are those who know that they don't have the ability to change what needs to be changed. We cannot earn our forgiveness of sins. We cannot earn a right standing with God. We cannot change our own hearts. God does that. We cannot overcome the obstacles in our lives. We cannot, we cannot bear under and, and, and persevere through the difficulties of life on our own. We are powerless to do those things. She knows that. And that's a good thing. That is a good thing. Is a good thing to recognize your powerlessness. But she is, she is there. She is weeping bitterly. Uh, you can see that she is, says that she is praying in her heart. Her lips are moving, but she's not saying anything. Uh, maybe, maybe this is, might be kind of uh, normal for, for a lot of people, for a lot of Christians uh, in our day. But, but in that time and throughout most of history, People, when they prayed, they would pray out loud. And it's not bad to pray out loud. It's probably actually good to pray out loud. But she is praying in her heart. So it's good to know that, that God knows our hearts and knows our hearts in a good way, that he knows the desires of our hearts. He knows the, the cries of our hearts, those things that we are unable to even express in words, that God hears our weeping and he knows our desires and we are able to speak to him in our heart and and even there is a little bit of uh, a hint for us about, about how to pray. Now, now I, I do not think that casualness in prayer is a good thing. I think in our day, uh, casualness in prayer is sort of valued. You see, she's not, she's not casual in prayer. Uh, she, she's not like, you know, swaggering up to God saying, what's up, bro? You know, she, that's, not, that's not how she approaches God. She says, Lord of hosts. She says, Lord of all the armies of heaven and the armies of Israel, the Lord Almighty who controls all things. She comes to him and she refers to herself as his servant, uh, probably more literally his slave. I, I come to you as one who is entirely submissive to you, God. 
So there's no casualness there, but it is intensely personal. And we can pray to God personally. We can bear all of our emotions before God, all of our pain before God. Use the Psalms. Use, use the example of Hannah. Use, use these things. Look, look at the way the Scripture talks about our prayer life with God. Take your anxieties. Take your fears. Take your pains to the Lord. And she's there. She is in deep distress. And you see that she, she asks God. She remembers the power of God. She also relies upon the compassion of God. She says, you, you're a God, you're a God who, look at my affliction. Look how afflicted I am. That, that's the expectation that when God looks at your affliction, he has compassion. Remember me that when God sees you, he looks on you with compassion and mercy. He is the all-powerful God over all things, over all that, that is or ever will be. And he has mercy on Little people like Hannah and little people like you and me. When she commits herself to, if you will give me a son, I will, I will give him back to you. And, and the idea of the razor not touching his head I, is the idea that he would be a Nazarite. Nazarites were, were people who were, in a, in a sense, they acted as pictures of what the whole nation of Israel was supposed to be. They acted as pictures of people who were devoted to God. As all of Israel was to be a son devoted to God. Well here she says I will, I will make my son. I will give my son. I will not cut his hair. He will, be, he will be devoted to you as yours. Now then we kind of see Eli pictured here. Eli, Eli, we're going to develop Eli's character in the, in the coming weeks. Uh, in a couple of coming uh, December, January. We'll, we'll see more of Eli Eli is the priest. Eli is also a judge who were semi-official leaders in Israel. But Eli is not spiritually discerning. Eli is not spiritually sensitive. Here is this woman who is pouring her heart out to God who is, you can see all the, the physical signs of distress on her and she is, she is pouring out her heart to God and weeping there and and. What does, what does Eli see? He doesn't come along and say, you know, can I, can I intercede with the Lord for you for anything or anything like that? He's like, woman, get rid of your drink, you know, which is not as unusual as it sounds. I mean, God commanded that the people of Israel would be the, bring the best of their food and drink uh, to these festivals and that they, they would eat it before the Lord. And in these kind of loose living times of the judges, it would probably not be unusual for someone to overindulge in these festivities. So probably not as unusual as it sounds, but he can't tell the difference. He can't tell the difference. And she says, get rid of your drink, woman. And uh, she says, don't think of me as that worthless kind of woman, which is also tells us something about uh, drunkenness. Uh, don't think of me as the kind of woman who would come in and blaspheme God in worship uh, by, by becoming drunk, by, by using the, the festival of the Lord as a chance to go on a bender. Just don't think of me that way. Instead, I've been pouring out my, my heart to the Lord. I haven't, I, haven't been pouring, I haven't been pouring shots. I've been pouring out my heart to the Lord. And he says, he says, go in peace. 
Don't be troubled anymore. May God, may the God of Israel grant your request. So on the one hand, Eli is spiritually inept. He's not particularly competent. But he also has this position of priest. And I want you to think about the fact that here is, here is Hannah coming to the tabernacle, which is this royal tent that pictures God's presence with the people. This is, where, this is where the people would go to meet with God. And here is the priest of God, who is the one who, who represents God's people before God. And Hannah takes comfort that God heard her prayer from the word of the high priest, the high priest Eli. How much more confidence should we have that through Jesus Christ, through the one whose flesh opened up a way to God, who is the one who comes and dwells with us, who is God with us, Emmanuel, who is, who is God who tabernacled among us, who is the temple of God, who is our high priest, who says to us, whatever you ask in my name, believe that you have received it, and it's yours. Whatever we ask in his name, if it's according to his will, Whatever we ask, we know that he hears us in everything that we ask. How much more confidence. Here, here is a spiritually inept, spiritually, uh, spiritually blind priest who says to Hannah, and she takes that as the word of the Lord, I think rightly. Are we to think that Jesus Christ who says that our prayers are heard in his name, that our prayers are received in his name. That if we ask, we will receive. If we, if we seek, we will find. If we knock, it will be open to us. It, it, are we, to, are we to, to disbelieve? Are we, are we to doubt his promises? I know that there are, there are questions about what about when God doesn't answer prayers. Or, or what, what about when it's not God's will. But what I... What I need, think that we need, and what I think the Bible says that we need is much more confidence that God hears us when we pray. Much more confidence. Much more confidence that Jesus Christ hears our prayers and is capable of answering our prayers and will answer our prayers. We need, we need much more of that. When I, when I pray in the morning, I need to pray bigger prayers. I need to be praying bigger prayers. I need to be praying beyond my own power. How many of us are praying prayers that we think that we are, we are in some way powerful enough to, to answer those prayers ourselves? Let us pray prayers that only God can answer. Only God opens and closes the womb. Only God changes the heart. Only God, only God changes our that the people in our lives, we're, we're having an opportunity. We enter into a holiday season where we see some people we don't see any other time of the year, and some of them are lost. God changes them. Don't, don't, don't give up. I, and I hope that God, on, my, on myself and on all of us, God will place a burden on our hearts that we will pray until God answers. We will pray until the power of God comes and does what we cannot do which is pretty much everything of any significance so let's pray she believes now let's read the rest of the story in verses 19 through 27 
They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah and Elkanah, knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow, but Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. She brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. They go back home, and God remembers. Uh, I know some of you are more faithful in this than others. I, I know a few of you, like you, you do this. And I, I think it's such a good thing just to, to write down the way that God answers your prayers, to remember that God answers your prayers. I bet that if you were to talk to somebody after the service and say, hey, do you have anything in your life that was like what God did for Hannah? We would be able to say, God has done great things for me. My soul magnifies the Lord. God, has do, God does great things for me. God has answered my prayers. We could say that. And I think, I think we should remember that. And God answers her prayer here. And she also does to the Lord, does, gives to the Lord what she had said that she would give. There is, sometimes there is this false idea that in the Old Testament, everything was very external. There was no real personal piety. There was no real personal devotion to God. Hannah's not like that. Hannah gives the lie to that. Here is, here's one who pours out her heart to God, and she also does what she says to God. And, and listen, if, if you look at verse 27, it says, for this child I, I prayed. Uh, literally, it's, it's, remember she names him Samuel, because it sounds like the word for ask. This, from the Lord I asked this. From the Lord, this was, my, this was my asking, and the Lord has done as I asked. Just ask God. Ask, and it will be given to you. The Lord gives. The Lord answers our prayers. So we see powerlessness. But our powerlessness, when we, when we pray to the God who is powerful over all the earth, he does great things for us. Now, finally, I want you to see the pattern of powerlessness. We're going to go into chapter 2, read verses 1 through 10 with me. It says, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. And there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread. But those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust 
He lifts up the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is, this is Hannah's prayer of praise. You kind of see verses 1 through 3 are personal. There's, there's some indication that she, she's talking about my, my heart exalts in the Lord, my, my horn that's a symbol of a person's strength. Their head is raised up, their strength is raised up. God has raised her up. Her mouth derides her enemies, like her enemies who could not, who, who kept irritating her. I think, think you can think of Peninnah as being in the background there. Peninnah is constantly there goading her, irritating her, but she can't say anything anymore. There is none like the Lord. There is none besides him. There is no rock like our God. There is no God but the one true God of Israel. There is no God but the Lord. There is no God but the God of Jesus Christ. There is only one. All the others that people trust in, all the other things that people hope in to, to, to give them what they want, those gods are no gods at all. So she talks about, and then she says in verse 3, let not arrogance come from your mouth anymore. You, you used to you used to you used to talk a big game. In the end, how many who are presently living in the Babylon of this world, who speak arrogantly, they will be shut. Their mouths will no longer speak. They will have to be quiet, except to confess that the Lord is Lord, that Jesus Christ is Lord. So she's kind of saying to Penina, you, you be quiet. God, God knows all things and he weighs all actions. Well, all, all must stand before the, 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 the judgeship of Jesus Christ. But then it, it expands. And this is the part. This is the part I want you to get where we, we are expanding the story. The little stories are not disconnected from the big stories. Hannah's story is a little story. But it is a, a, a paradigm or a pattern of the big story. It's a, it's, a, it's a picture of the powerless, the powerless to inherit the kingdom of God. The, the, those, who are, the, those who have poverty of spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, many who are, who are first will be last and the last first. Those who exalt themselves now will be humbled then, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's, that's what Jesus said. And that's what's happening in verses 4 through 6 there. The bows of the mighty are broken. That is, those who oppressed, those who came and raided, those who came and took. They're broken, but the weak are lifted up. The weak are, the, the feeble are strengthened. Those who are full, those who are relied upon their wealth, who, those who, who lorded their wealth over others and relied upon their wealth for their comfort and security and their salvation, they're now, they're now selling themselves into slavery so they can eat. But God feeds the hungry. Those who hungered and relied upon God, he feeds them. The barren has borne seven. Hannah goes on to have six, but seven's the, the complete number, the number of fullness. God, God gives her, God, God gives those fullness, those who lack now. They rely upon God and God fills them. 
And then verses 6 through 8, vigor. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. Those who raise themselves up to God, he brings down. From what I understand, the Australians have a, have, have a saying, you know, the tall poppy gets cut. You know, whenever you have grass, it's kind of sticking up. They go around, they cut the, they cut the tallest parts. Well, that's kind of what happens at the end. Those who lift themselves up the highest, they're the ones who get brought the lowest. But those who humble themselves before the Lord, they are the ones who are lifted up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. Those who, who do not rely upon the Lord, who don't sense their powerlessness, they are brought to poverty. But God makes those rich who rely upon him. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. They're low. He raises up those who are grieving in the ashes of, of, of their mourning. He lifts them up. And he sets them on the high places. They, he gives them an inheritance. He makes them live. And that last part there in verse 8, he says, for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. God God created the world. He makes the, he makes the earth sit. So when, when, God, when God takes those who are low and he sets them up, they are now set up on, on thrones that cannot be shaken. They are given inheritance that cannot be taken away. All the things of this world, Jesus says, the thief comes in to steal. That moth and rust, they wear it out. You want an inheritance that cannot be shaken. Well, that inheritance can only come from God. And then finally, like a lot of times in Jesus' parables, in the Psalms, uh, in, in throughout the scriptures, there is this, this comparison between, between the wicked and the righteous. The righteous, God watches over the feet of the righteous. He makes sure that you, you will not stumble and not be able to get up. You will not stumble the way the psalmist puts it headlong. You won't fall and stay there. Instead, for those who are God's people, he makes sure that you will make it all the way to the end. He keeps you going. He pulls you all along the way. He's going to keep you going. But the, but the wicked, the wicked who are relying upon their own might, they will be cut off in darkness. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. God will thunder against them in heaven. It says about Jesus' return that he will blow them away with the breath of his mouth. All the wicked who stand against God. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Now then, those last two lines. I think, I think it, it could be translated, and I think it would be best translated. May he give strength to his king. May he exalt the horn of his anointed. Not only was Hannah's prayer answered for a son, but her, her, her prayer for a king has been answered. God, God has strengthened his son. He has exalted the horn of his anointed. He has made Jesus Christ both Lord and King. How does God save? God saves through his King. Now, if you want to start flipping over to Luke 1, I want you to see something. I want you to see something One of the, the, the first Christmas that the vine began, uh, our first Christmas together, I preached Luke 1 and, and chapters 1 and 2. And uh, preached in Luke 1, and 
I'm just so excited. This is, this is what Bible geeks get excited about. To show you what's in Luke 1 and how it connects to 1 Samuel 1, I love it. I love it. I love the scriptures. I hope you will, I hope you will learn to love the scriptures. Look at, verse, look at Luke 1, verses 46 through 55. These are, this is Mary's song, and it is intentionally patterned on the song of Hannah. Not, not of a barren woman who gives birth, but a virgin who gives birth. Look at what she says in verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. God answered Hannah's prayer. She, God answered it by causing a virgin to conceive. She would bear a son whose name was Jesus. And it is Jesus who comes, as Luke reminds us, and preaches good news to the poor. Preaches good news to the powerless. Preaches sight to the blind. All of us, all of us who are in our pain, we are in our sin, we are in our powerlessness, we are, we are in our, we, we were in our blindness. Those of us who are in humble estates, we're lowly, we're not, we're not big people, we're just little people with little stories. God has sent his king, he has anointed his king. He has given strength to his king. His king, Jesus Christ, now sits on the throne. And Jesus does not, he doesn't crush, he doesn't crush the wounded. He doesn't hurt the weak. Bring bring your powerlessness to Jesus Christ. Bring Bring your humble estate to Jesus Christ. Bring your poverty of spirit to Jesus Christ. Bring your brokenness and your need to Jesus Christ. He exalts those who humble themselves. He gives eternal life, eternal joy. Come to Jesus. Come come through the high priest who makes sure that God hears your prayer. We are all weak. We are all wounded. We are all powerless. But God, through Jesus Christ, saves. Let our souls, let our souls magnify the Lord. He has done great things for us. He has has taken our sin. He has forgiven our sin. He has died on the cross for us. He has given us new hearts. He has given us an inheritance. He has given us of his spirit, the guarantee of eternal life. 
God has done great things for people who don't deserve it. For people who can't do anything for themselves. That's us. I hope you will know that about yourself. That is who we are. We are nothing. We are, we are empty-handed in every way. And our God saves us. Let us hope in Him. Let us trust in Him. Let us look to Him. Let us look to His King, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, let your word have its full effect in our hearts. Grant that uh, we would be humbled. That we would be humbled. That we would not we would not in any way have arrogant speech or in any way hope that by our own might we would prevail, but know that it is only through the power of it is only through your power, the power of your son and your spirit that we would we would have see anything, see anything, anything good. You are the author and the giver of all that is good. We thank you for all the ways that you have answered our prayers in our little stories. All the ways that you have answered our prayers for, for jobs and for children and for marriage and for friends and for church and for salvation. And, and all the ways that you have, have entered into our, our little stories and you have answered our prayers. We praise you, God, as the one who hears and answers prayer. And we ask that your kingdom would come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your king reign, Jesus Christ. May all see. May many be humbled now so that they might be exalted later. For your great name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.